Section 4 Part 1, Chapter 3 of An Essay on the Art of Ingeniously Tormenting by Jane Collier This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1, Chapter 3 To Parents It has been said that the state of children, when very young, with regard to their parents, is like the state of a blind man in the hands of a friend who has the use of his eyes. Children want both protection from harms and direction in every step they are to take. They are perfectly helpless and incapable of supporting themselves, even one day, without parental care over them. And where that care is exerted for their benefit, there they undoubtedly owe the highest duty and regard imaginable. The most unlimited power was ever given to parents over their children, and, in ancient Rome, it was said to extend to life and death. This most probably must arise from a knowledge of the great natural affection and tenderness that is in almost every living creature towards its offspring, and to such parents as possess this true affection I direct not my precepts, for, where real love and affection towards the children, which must exert itself for their good, is in the heart, all my instructions will be thrown away. But as for you, O ye parents, who are willing to learn, and who intend to make a proper use of your power, let me remind you, that even in this age, you are invested both by law and custom, with the strongest outward and visible power I know of in this land. Purchased slaves are not allowed, your servants, if you use them ill, may leave you, or can, in many cases, have better redress against you from the magistrate, than you can procure against them. Your children have nobody to fly to, nobody even to complain to, and, as it is in your power to take care of these, or cruelly to neglect them, their very lives, whilst infants, are still, in a manner, at your disposal. It is at your own option to feed them on bread and water, the hard fare appointed for criminals, or to pamper them, if you can afford it, with all the dainties of the land. The reins of restraint are yours. The rod of correction is given into your hands. Who shall set bounds to your strokes? These my rules, which positively forbid not only all manual correction, but every the least degree of restraint or contradiction to the infant's wayward will, if you intend to breed them up properly, so as to be a torment to themselves if they live, and a plague to all your acquaintance. Severity to children, when carried to excess, may, indeed, render the lives of those children very miserable, and I allow it to be one method of tormenting, but, in my opinion, by no means the best. Yet, if you intend to follow this method, let me give you one necessary piece of advice, which is, never to strike or whip a child. But, when you are angry, and in a violent passion with that child, nor ever let this correction come for lying, obstinacy, or disobedience in the child, but for having torn or dirtied her white frock, if it be a girl, or for having accidentally broken a china cup at play, or any such trifling offence. But there is one strong reason still remains against the least degree of general severity, which is, the regard you ought to have for your own reputation. If your intention be to indulge yourself, without any regard to your child's welfare, why should you take a method by which you may incur the censure of cruelty, when you can more effectually answer your own purpose, and be called kind? Therefore, by all means, humour every child you have to the highest degree, till they attain the age of five or six years, 
by which time you will be able to judge whether your indulgence has had a proper effect. If you see them possessed with a due degree of obstinacy, willfulness, perverseness, and ill-humour, if you find that the passions of pride, cruelty, malice, and envy have, like rank weeds, flourished for want of rooting up and overwhelmed every spark of goodness in the mind, then may you, as my true disciples, rejoice in having so far done your duty by them, as to have laid the proper foundation for their becoming no small adepts in this our useful science. If, notwithstanding the uncontrolled license you have given to your children, of indulging every rising passion, one of them should chance to be endued with such a mildness of disposition, and so much inbred good nature, as to have grown up gentle against your consent. Then, to that child, immediately change your method, grow morose and severe, make favourites of all the rest, and encourage them to tease and insult it, till you have quite broke its spirit, and got the better of its natural placidness of disposition, so as to turn it into a dejected mope. But take another view of this extreme indulgence to children, and it is hoped this picture will confirm you in such a practice. Suppose your stock of children too large, and that by your care for their support, you should be abridged of some of your own luxuries and pleasures. To make away with the troublesome and expensive brats, I allow, would be the desirable thing, but the question is, how to effect this without subjecting yourself to that punishment which the law has thought proper to affix to such sort of jokes. Whipping and starving, with some caution, might do the business, but, since a late execution for a fact of that kind may have given a precedent for the magistrates to examine into such affairs, you may, by these means, find your way to the gallows, if you are low enough for such a scrutiny into your conduct. And, if you are too high to have your actions punished, you may possibly be a little ill-spoken of amongst your acquaintance. I think, therefore, it is best not to venture either your neck or your reputation by such a proceeding, especially as you may effect the thing full as well by following the directions I have given, of holding no restraint over them. Suffer them to climb, without contradiction, to heights from whence they may break their necks, let them eat everything they like, and, at all times, not refusing them the richest meats, and highest sauces with as great a variety as possible, because even excess in one dish of plain meat cannot, as I have been told by physicians, do much harm. Suffer them to sit up as late as they please at night, and make hearty meat suppers, and even in the middle of the night, if they call for it, do not refuse the poor things some victuals. By this means, nobody can say you starve your children, and, if they should chance to die of a surfeit, or of an ill habit of the body contracted from such a diet, so far will you be from censure that your name will be recorded for a kind and indulgent parent. If any impertinent person should hint to you that this manner of feeding your children was the high road to their destruction, you may answer that the poor people suffer their children to eat and drink what they please, not feeding them upon bread pudding, milk and water, and such stuff as the physicians advise. And, you may say, where do you see anything more healthful than the children of the poor? Take my word for it. You may make this appeal without fear of contradiction, for often I have heard it made in company, and never yet did I hear it observed that the poor, in truth, had not the hurtful things to give their children, which it is in the power of the rich to indulge them in, that the food of these healthy poor children generally is bread and cheese, plain bread, a little fat bacon, clear water, or some small beer, hardly removed one degree from water itself, 
and not roast meat, fish, hashes, soups, etc. But to return to my father directions. On no account miss that useful season of the year, the summer, in which you may give your children as much fruit as they can cram down their throats. Then, be sure not to contradict the poor little things, if they should choose to play about, and overheat themselves in the middle of the day. And, afterwards, should choose to cool their limbs by sprawling about on the wet grass, after the dew is fallen. If they should chance, after all this, to outlive the month of September, without the worms, a fever, the smallpox, or a general corruption of the blood, that no medicine can purify, you must wait the event of another summer. From having indulged them in all their humours, you have one chance more of losing them in sickness than those parents have who control them. Which is, that it is not, you know, in the power of medicine to cure, when it is not in your power to get that medicine down the child's throat. On all considerations, therefore, I believe, we may venture to affirm, that letting children entirely alone to their own wills, without the least degree of restraint or contradiction, is the surest road to lead them to their own destruction. If parents, in the foregoing process, should be able, with truth, to deny the motive I have assigned, can they, with equal truth, deny the probable consequence, here, shown, of such indulgence? Supposing your child, or children, to outlive all these your kind indulgences, encourage them in all sorts of cruelty, first to flies and birds, then to dogs, cats, or any other animals that come in their way. This will habituate them to that true hardness of heart, which is the foundation of our science. So pleasant is the sport of tormenting domestic animals under our protection, that a whole chapter of instructions for that purpose should have been inserted, had it not been already very well exemplified in Pompey the Little, and, if my readers have the gift of imitation, they may, by many pleasant examples, become perfect in this practice. Although I would have you inculcate the love of cruelty, yet, by no means, call it by its true name, but encourage them in the practice of it under the name of fun. When they are well versed in this sport of tormenting amongst animals, they may introduce it, under the aforesaid name, among their friends and acquaintance. It will equally answer, in all stations, for how many hurt shins, bloody noses, broken heads, if not broken bones, has this sport caused at a country wake? And, in politer life, how many heavy hearts have retired from company by the means of a joke, repartee, and fun? And that this kind of fun is allowed to be extremely diverting, appears from its being so very common to hear people publicly declare that they always laugh at mischief. If your children happen to have but weak understandings, upbraid them with every excellence you see abroad, and lament your own hard fate in being plagued with idiots. But, if you see a rising genius in any child, especially if it be a girl, unless you can in some way turn it to your own profit, give that child no assistance nor encouragement, but browbeat all endeavours towards striking out of the common road. When once your children are grown up to men or women's estate, let the very appearance of indulgence vanish, and, as soon as they are come to a relish of this world's enjoyment, restrain them with a heavy hand upbraid them also with your former kindness. Lament that your past indulgence to them, when children, has made them ungrateful, and declare them to be the grief and torment of your old age. 
as you never controlled or rebuked them when children, remember that you have in store a large quantity of contradiction and rebukes at their service. Of both, which be as lavish as possible, particularly of the latter, which will now be no sort of service, especially if you bestow such rebukes on them before company and in the roughest terms. Study the tempers of your sons and daughters to see what they most delight in, and, as you have an absolute restraining power, exercise it where it will be most strongly felt. If gaiety and public diversion are their delight, confine them constantly at home, or let them out with such restrictions as will damp all their joy. But, if they have no immoderate love for such amusement, and could be as well contented at home from the satisfaction they would take in doing their duty, let your chief point be to dress them out and send them abroad for your own honour and credit, and receive them with ill-humour when they come home. If their chief joy be in endeavouring, by their cheerful conversation, to please and amuse you, put on such a rigid austerity as shall make them afraid to open their lips before you, and withhold from them the least appearance of pleasure or good humour in yourself, for their readiness in all things to comply with your will. Spare no expense in dress or equipage for them, provided their dispositions are such that it will give them no pleasure. For how must an old Harlow enjoy himself in loading a Clarissa with money, clothes, jewels, etc., whilst he knows that all she wants from him is kind looks and kind words? When your daughter comes to be old enough to marry, if she should happen to have fixed her affections on a real deserving young man, and you should be bent upon giving her hand to one whose only merit is his riches, the behaviour of old Weston to his daughter Sophia, in Tom Jones, will show you how a fond father should treat a deserving child. There is more difficulty in giving positive rules for the tormenting children than any other connection whatever, as my pupils must have two points to carry. One is the child's own discomfort, and the other is the use they are of in tormenting all your friends and acquaintance. Should you follow the road of these parents, who hold a proper restraint, and keep a watchful eye over their children, in order to prevent their hurting themselves, should you make that parent your example, who, by carefully watching every rising passion, accustoms the child, if not to subdue, at least to keep it within proper bounds? Should you act in the manner of those parents, who, by cultivating and encouraging every good disposition in their children, breed them up with modesty and gentleness of mind, and who, by well-placed kindness and real indulgence, have inspired them with a grateful and affectionate regard towards themselves, children thus educated would, I confess, when grown up, in all probability, be more fitted to receive your torments than those bred up by my rules. But many contingencies may then arise to prevent the exercise of your power, as your own death, your son's going out into the world, or your daughter's marriage. I give it once more, therefore, as my advice, that you should leave such kind education for those who have no relish for our sport, and that you pursue the method called indulgence, which I have already marked out. This will infallibly make them miserable while infants, as common experience must show you, that no children are so fretful, peevish, and uneasy as those who are so indulged. And although you may, by this means, breed up a parcel of headstrong, hard-hearted cubs, who, when old enough, will defy your power, yet you may, in the meantime, amuse yourself with the servants, your acquaintance, and your friends, who may chance to be more fitted by nature or education for your purpose.
you may go out of the world, also, with a pleasing reflection, that you have left behind you a set of wolves, cats, and foxes, of your own educating, who will help to plague and torment all the rest of mankind. The reason there is no chapter of instructions to children, how to plague their parents, we presume, is pretty obvious. First, because when they are very young, they cannot read. It lies, therefore, upon you, O ye parents, to make them, in their infancy, both a plague to themselves and all around them. In the next place, when they are grown old enough to profit by my instructions, they may find, in some of the succeeding chapters, most of the rules that could possibly be given them, which, it is hoped, they will be so kind as to practice on all those parents who, by departing from my institutes, have given their children an affection power over them. For such power will the children gain, if you turn your parental authority into an affectionate friendship towards them. Could I be so happy as to prevail with you to follow my directions? No other instructions would hereafter be necessary. For ye must be sensible, O ye parents, how much it is in your power to form the minds of your children so as to enrol them under my list, or to guard their tender minds against my precepts, if Solomon was in the right when he said, Train up your children, and so forth. End of section 4